Welcome to Mosaic Church, and thank you for joining us here online. To prepare for today's message, we encourage you to utilize the Mosaic Cincinnati app. There, you can view the message notes, put in prayer requests, and so much more. Enjoy the message. Open up your Bibles to, to Mark chapter 5. We're going to spend most of our day in Mark chapter 5, but uh, we're also going to look at some other passages in Mark. But um, if you just want to flop it open there to Mark chapter 5 or open up your app, that'd be awesome. Last week, we saw the leper boldly approach Jesus. This week, though, it's going to be kind of fun. We're going to see somebody try to sneak a healing. We're going to see somebody kind of sneak a healing. And there's so many real-life dynamics when we look at the ministry of Jesus in the book of Mark. And so think about, and I'm going to unpack it for you a little bit, describe it, but think about the lifestyle of Jesus at this point. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he was constantly pressured constantly surrounded. He was literally having to sneak off sometimes to get alone with God. What comes, what comes to mind the most for me when I think about um, how pressured and surrounded and, and, and just on the go that Jesus was during this time in his ministry is when I had toddlers, right? Moms, can you, can you get this, that, that you've got kids at home and, and you never can get a moment's rest? They're just always pulling on you and poking you and asking you questions and, and why this and why that and, and why, 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 why? Can anybody remember that part, portion of their life? Or maybe if you're a mom, you're, you're right there in the middle of it. Constant questions, constant needs, constant feeding, right? I found myself, when I had uh, toddlers in the house, we had one year after our third child was born, little Jovi, and we had the boys, and we had one more year until Jason got into kindergarten. How many of you know that was like the longest year of our life? To have three kids in the house uh, all day, every day, um, you know, when I get to come home after work, I'm like, this is a blast, and Jolie's like, get me out of here, right? But even, even as, you know, I got to go to work every day and, and Jolie's home with the kids doing an amazing job, our kids have the best mom in the world, um, I, I found myself, you know, uh, sometimes sneaking snacks, right? I would buy snacks and I would hide them because I didn't want the kids to find them. And, and then when the kids weren't around, I would like try to eat the snacks because I knew that if I got certain snacks out when the kids were around, what was going to happen? They're going to eat them all. And, and so even now, as, as the kids are older and they're teenagers, guess what? I still do the same thing. Sometimes, um, sometimes, every once in a while, I don't do this all the time, but I'll go grab myself a box of Pop-Tarts. Who, who's an adult that still likes Pop-Tarts? I mean, come on. Sometimes they just hit the spot. And I'll hide them somewhere, and, and then, I'll, and then my, my kids will find me eating them. And they're like, where did you get the Pop-Tarts? Because sometimes you're just like surrounded all the time, and you just need a moment's peace. Any dads out there that have pulled the, I gotta go to the store card, right? I just gotta go to the store for a minute. You don't need anything at the store, but you just gotta get out of the house. Just a little peace of mind. Maybe moms, you've, you've, you've done that too. Oh, I've got, a, I've got a meeting with somebody at Starbucks and you don't have a meeting. You're, just, you're going to a parking lot and sitting by yourself somewhere just to decompress a little bit, right? You know it's true. On the other hand, though, in Jesus' lifestyle of just constant pressure and constant surrounding of people, there are literally multitudes of people that can't wait to catch a glimpse of him, to receive a healing from him, to hear the life-altering teaching, to be a part of the moment. 
You know what it's like, probably the best, best concert I've ever been to in my life. I, I got to see, go see you too one time. And, and being a part of the moment in the room when it's happening, there's just nothing like it. It was amazing. And so I can only imagine that the best concert I've ever been to times a thousand or a million is, is what it actually was like to be on the mountain or in the room with Jesus, the Lord of Lords, the King of all kings, the one who changed everything, who turned the world upside down, getting to be in the room with Jesus. Amazing. And so you can only imagine why everybody wanted to be close to Jesus, right? In the same way, my kids, right, wouldn't have survived without our constant care. And we see that kind of attitude in these people that wanted to get close to Jesus. They were desperate to get close to Jesus as if their life depended on it. And when your kids are little, their lives literally do depend on it, right? And so we got these two opposing forces. You've got the people that just couldn't get enough, that just wanted to get close to Jesus. And then you had Jesus that at times was like, I got to get alone. I got to get with God. I got to spend some time with my heavenly father. You see, sometimes we see, some people see Jesus as only meek and mild, right? Just this, you know, always there for everybody. And, but most often, Jesus was actually courageously bold. And he was characterized by a daring, uncompromising manner that caused many people to be drawn to him and others to despise him. And so the crowd wasn't just people that desperately needed him or getting close to him. Some of it was just everybody was following the crowd. Kind of like some of you that when you see an ambulance driving down the road, you, you, you jump in your car and you try to follow the ambulance to see what happened. Anybody out there? I've known some ambulance chasers in my life, and so I know, I know they exist. And so, you know, people were there for all kinds of reasons, but the, the, the reality stays the same that people just wanted to be close to Jesus. But the people, they're not just a nameless crowd. We see real people with real issues in need of real God, just like you today. And yet we know that Jesus was fully God. He was fully man. And he was limited at that time in flesh, just like you and me. He was limited to the same 24-hour day that you and I are. And it was, in, it was literally impossible for him to talk to every person personally or touch everyone that needed healing because there was just only so much time and so many hours in the day. And so the question for me is, as we look through this passage today, is how did Jesus operate in a life full of chaos? Can you relate to that? That sometimes life is just chaotic. It's chaotic. And yet when we look at scripture, we know that Jesus knew what chaos looked like. Let's unpack it just a little bit. So number one, the first thing that we see that how Jesus operated in a life full of chaos is that Jesus maintained clarity of vision in the chaos. You and I know how hard this is when life really gets moving and maybe you're in school or our kids, you're in sports or, or you're chasing the kids around in sports and, and life just goes nuts for a while. It's kind of hard to maintain vision 
of what's most important and, and what really needs to be done. And you're just trying to scratch, feverishly scratch things off the list and, and hope that you get the right stuff done. But Jesus maintained the clarity of vision even in the chaos. Look at this in Mark chapter one, verses 35 through 39. It says, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him, kind of like the toddlers. Where's mom? Look, come on, where, where's, where is she? So Simon and the others went out to find him, and when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. Let's just translate this. Jesus, you're not where we think you should be, and you're not doing what we think you should be doing at this time. Have you ever had people put that kind of pressure on you? But Jesus replied, we must go to the other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That's why I came. I love that. Clarity of vision. That's why he came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Awesome. You know, just a a thought that I take from just that one passage is that successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. Jesus is the the picture of success, of having a vision, having a mission, and sticking to it. Everyone in life expects you to be doing something other than what you're doing right now. That's why you get so many emails and so many requests and so many uh, marketing advertisements because people are trying to sway you and, and lead you in another direction, all the time. But Jesus had a non-negotiable habit, time with God the Father, and nothing was gonna sway him. Nothing was gonna keep him from it. It was a habit that he had. He was gonna stay on mission. In Mark 3, nine through 10, we see some more of this, this chaos. It says, Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowd would not crush him. That's a pretty descriptive word, right? So the crowd wouldn't crush him. He had healed many people that day, so all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him. Talk about getting close to Jesus. They literally wanted to physically touch him, and not just one, not just two, multitudes. They were going to literally crush him. He needed the boat to preach from. And this just underlines another reason. He came to to preach a message. Yes, he healed people. Yes, he touched people. But the most important thing that he came to do was to proclaim the message. Mark 3, 20 through 21. Another example. It says, one time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. Moms, have you ever experienced that? You're so busy feeding them and you're so busy taking care of all the things that you, uh, you, you realize the whole went, day went by and you didn't even eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. Can you imagine? He's out of his mind, they said. And so here we find Jesus doing what he does. He's just getting it done. He's, he's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's preaching. He's, he's, he's doing what he came to do. And his family thinks he's crazy. That kind of hits close to home, doesn't it? It only adds to the chaos. 
And maybe you've, you've experienced that. You're going through life and you're doing what you thought you were supposed to be doing and you're trying to stick, stick to, to um, the plan that God's laying out for your life and even your family thinks you're nuts. One of the hardest things I've ever had to do in ministry is, is as a youth pastor, a long time ago, uh, having kids, uh, students that experienced and, and felt a, a distinct call to ministry. They, they, they really thought that God was leading them towards ministry, and so they made a decision after high school to prepare for that and, and to have parents um, uh, speak into their life a different narrative to say, uh, that's not gonna pay the bills, right? And to literally watch kids because of the influence of their parents, and parents, you have a ton of influence. You've got a ton of influence. And that's, that, that can be used for good, or it can be used for other things. And so to watch kids leave the call that God had placed on their life and not take risks, why? Uh, because their parents really wanted them to make more money. You know, there's always going to be times in your life where the rubber hits the road. There's always going to be times in life where things are chaotic and decisions are hard and, and, and you feel like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and there's going to be doubters and there's going to be naysayers, right? But Jesus maintained clarity of vision even in the chaos. Mark 6, 30-32 says, The apostles returned from their ministry to her and told him all that they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. Some of you are like, now we're talking, right? This sounds great. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So here we are once again, they're not eating. And so this all sounds well and good, but as soon as they get to that quiet place, guess what happens? Jesus saw the multitudes that had literally ran down the beach because they had gotten in a boat and they had gone to try and find another place. There's crowds running down the beach that met them where they were going before they got there. And Jesus sees the multitudes, sees the crowds. And you know what the Bible says? That he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And what did he do? He began teaching. He began teaching. Why? Because his clarity of vision was bigger than the chaos. He knew why he was here. And then, last example that, that launches us into our story today, in Mark 5.21, this is right before the story that we're gonna walk through, Jesus got in the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. So the moral of the story here is Jesus just can't get away. In fact, he had just left the other side of the lake because he had ticked off a bunch of shepherds because he, he cast out some demons and sent them into the pigs and the pigs ran off the cliff and drowned. And, and so he was making friends and he was making enemies. And, 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 but what remained the same was the crowds. They just kept coming. And so Jesus was escaping the one crowd because they were mad and he went from one crowd to another and he gets out of the boat and once again enters the fray. And you and I today, we just can't take that for granted. That when life was chaotic and when it would have been easier to just run off and get some downtime, Jesus kept going for you and for me. 
And so the question that you and I have to answer for ourselves in life is what's going to be that important? What's going to be so important? What are going to be the non-negotiables in my life that, that, that no matter how tired I am and no matter what happens, I'm going to do this? Because if Jesus models anything, it's clarity of vision. And so what do we see next? We see next that, number two, no chaos changes Jesus' ability to help you and me. No chaos, no circumstances, no life changes changes Jesus' ability to help you and me. So Mark 22 through 23, this is the beginning of our story for the day. It says, then a leader of the local synagogue whose name was Jairus arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My daughter is dying. Please come lay your hands on her so she can live. Now, Jairus, he worked in the synagogue. He was a prominent person. He had influence. He had power. And he had the ability to kind of push through the crowd and get where he needed to be to get right at the feet of Jesus and, and beg Jesus to come. And so in this story today, we're going to see two daughters. We're going to see Jairus' daughter, and we're going to see another one just here in a minute. And we're going to see two responses. So one is the daughter of an esteemed individual. You know, Jairus' daughter comes straight to Jesus. He's desperate, but he's confident that Jesus can help. He had seen Jesus heal other places, but he knew that Jesus could also help his daughter. He knew that one touch from Jesus could change everything. The other daughter that we're going to see here in a moment has been rejected, put out, cut off from everything that she knew. If she had a husband, she lost him. If she didn't have a husband, it was because of her condition that she couldn't have a husband. Much like the leper that we talked about last week, she lost everything. Family, husband, social um, uh, encounters, everything. And so let's check this out in Mark 5, 24 through 29. So Jesus goes with Jairus. Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him. Chaos, just like we've seen throughout the book so far. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors over the years, and she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had only gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I could just touch his robe, I'll be healed. And immediately, we talked about that word last week, euthus. It's the Greek word immediately used over and over in the book of Mark. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Isn't that amazing? I don't think that we could pass this over, the amount of chaos that was happening at the time of the healing. Many times when everything is chaotic, we wonder, does anyone have time for me? Right? Does anyone have time for me? I don't even have time for myself, and, and much less does anyone see me? Does anybody know what's going on in my life? Does anyone have time for me? And we just, we start to play this, this little pity party, and, and we get out the little miniature violin and some cheese, and we just go to town, right? Does anyone see me? 
And we think that someone needs to stop what they're doing and help me right now. I get some calls, and, and, and rightfully so, as, as a pastor, I'm always on call. And so I get some calls like that sometimes that are like, we need you now, right? And just so you know, there's nothing special about me. My prayers are just as powerful as your prayers. Your prayers are just as powerful as mine because that's just how good God is. But, but we get that way. And in the chaos of things, we wonder, does anybody see me? I need someone now to help me. But this amazing example shows us the unbounded limits of God's power. There's no limits. You're in a crazy season of life. Jesus can meet you right there. You don't have any time for yourself. Jesus can meet you right there. You don't have any time to eat. Guess what? Jesus will still show up for you. He'll still show up for you. We are as close to Jesus as we want to be. I know that could kind of sound like a harsh word a little bit, but it's, it's what Jesus purchased for you and for me when he laid down his life for us on the cross. And then he busted out of that grave. He busted it wide open, free. And when he did that, you and I gained, gained 24-7 access to God's presence. And so this girl, hurting, hurting, separated, broken. She had to push her way through the crowd and she had to fight to get close to Jesus. And guess what? Jesus showed up for her. And in the same way, you and I need to take away that in the chaos of our life, when we feel like no one sees me, when you reach out, Jesus is always there. He's there for you. Isn't that amazing? His power is always available to the faith-filled heart. And it doesn't matter the circumstances in your life, how chaotic it's gotten. Jesus still is able to help you even when no one else shows up for you. Some of you need to hear that today. And then the third thing, just the cherry on the top, because it wasn't good enough that Jesus just healed her. All right? Remember we talked about the leper last week, that leper that Jesus healed he eventually died, just like we all will, all will, you know, and that's kind of morbid thought, but it's the truth. We're all going to go, and, and if Jesus heals our, our physical body, awesome, awesome. But the number one thing that he wants for you is number three, Jesus desires a relationship with you, a real living relationship, not religion, not you just checking off a list and do's and don'ts. He wants to know you. And by the way, he already does. And he wants you to know him. He wants to love you and he wants to love you to love him back. And so check out what happened. Mark 5, 30 through 31. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? Who touched me? Who touched my robe? What a question to ask. And just like the disciples didn't get it, many times we don't get it. We think that church and, and following God is just about you know, doing some things and not doing other things. But all of God's intent for sending Jesus can be found in this one question. Who touched me? 
Who touched me? I want you to see those words today as his way of reaching out to a woman who desperately wanted to remain anonymous. She didn't want anyone in the crowd to know that she had been there. She didn't want anybody in the crowd to know what she was going through. Why? Because if they knew, none of them would have wanted to be that close to her. They would have been mad that she touched them on her way to touch Jesus. They would have then thought that Jesus was unclean because she was unclean. But Jesus wasn't merely interested in dispensing healing power. Man, this is big, and some of you need to get this, because sometimes we go after what is in Jesus' hand and forget what's in his heart. And we just want relief. And rightfully so, a lot of times we just want, we just want to get healed. We just want the pain to stop. We just want the, the loneliness to stop. We just want the, the, the aching and the, the division and the relational carnage to stop. We just, we just want to be free of the circumstances. And if that's all that Jesus wanted for, for you, guess what he would have done? He would have just kept walking. But he turned around and he said, who which is the most important word in that sentence. Who touched me? He wanted to establish a personal relationship with this woman. How do we know this? Check this out. Mark 5, 32 through 33. But he kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. I just can't even imagine because she she was just coming hoping to get healed. She didn't imagine she was going to have a conversation with the creator of the whole entire universe. So she's trembling, just like you maybe are when you realize God's really real. Jesus really came. He really lived a sinless life. He really laid down his life for you on a cross. And just like the first moment where you realized that, if you're a believer, you probably fell to your knees in your heart and you just said, oh my goodness, God's really real. This, this all just got real. And so she falls at her knees in front of Jesus, tells, her, tells him what she had done. And Jesus' first words to her, And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. I told you earlier, we're going to see two daughters in this passage and two responses. So daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Why is this such a big deal? Why is this such a big deal? Because instead of calling her woman, which is what, what, Normally, a man in that day would have called a woman, he would have said woman, right? The, that was the ancient equivalent in that language of ma'am. He would have said ma'am or, you know, something just generic. But he used a family term, which was a tender expression undoubtedly used by Jairus for his own daughter. Just get, just, just get a picture. Here Jairus is waiting for Jesus to go heal his daughter. And he's watching Jesus call this woman who was recently unclean, unfit for society. He was calling her the same name that he called his little girl. 
And this woman, her face is probably to the ground. She's trembling with fear. As she explains everything, she's probably expecting a severe rebuke. But instead of a rebuke, Jesus says, come on into the family. Come on. How cool is that? She had lost her whole family. She had lost her husband if she had one. And here the Son of God, the creator of the world, the Savior of all humanity, is calling her publicly in front of everyone a part of his family. Wow. Despite the expectation that Jesus would be viewed as unclean at this moment. You know, because once this happened, people knew like what she had gone through because she said it and people probably recognized her. Oh, she's the unclean woman. And at this moment, if they were going by their standards and by then Jesus, just because he, she touched him, would have also been unclean. And so what does that tell us? That Jesus was willing to be publicly identified with our uncleanness to make us whole. Does that sound like anything else you've heard of? That in this moment, in this very real moment of chaos in life, Jesus was willing to publicly be identified with this person's um, brokenness, right? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it like this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this is such an amazing, beautiful picture of that that this woman who was unclean came and touched Jesus and he was publicly willing to say, I'm with her, I'm a part of her family, she's a part of my family and I'm going to take on the public humiliation that she deserved and say, we're together. Isn't that amazing? Mark, 3, 3, uh, or Mark 5, 35 to 36, the story continues. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. So the messengers, let's just get this picture straight. They're talking to Jairus, the dad, who had just witnessed this whole thing. They tell him, hey, there's no use. Just leave Jesus alone. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus. So Jesus turns from his newly acquired daughter in the faith to Jairus. And, and what does he say? Don't be afraid, just have faith. And so Jairus has two choices here. He can listen to the messenger's voices who said, don't worry about God, he can't help you anymore. Or he could listen to Jesus's voice. He had just seen someone else experience the healing that he had hoped would happen for his daughter. And some of you know what this feels like. You've seen God working in other people's lives. You've seen God heal other people. You've seen God put other families back together. You've seen God do the miraculous. And you're saying, God, what about me? And in that moment, I guarantee you, Jairus was probably wondering the same thing. Jesus, if you would have just kept going with me, if you would have just kept your eyes on me, if you would have just done for me what you said you would do, and if we wouldn't have stopped and dealt with this woman, we probably would have made it to the house in time, and you probably would, could have healed my daughter. 
And so he had this internal struggle in the midst of this chaos and in the midst of these new circumstances. God, can you still show up for me like you showed up for her? And Jesus' words, every single one of you need to take this to heart today. Don't be afraid. Just have faith. Amen. Which voices are you going to listen to? In, chaos, in the chaotic moments, are you going to listen to the voices that say you don't have enough? You, you, you can't do it. Your life is too far gone. You've fallen apart too much. People don't like you. You know, whatever, whatever the voices are saying. Students, you might be saying, man, at school, nobody likes me. I, I, I'm not popular. All these voices that are going through, through in your head. And, and you're not sure that Jesus can show up for you just like he showed up for that other person. In the moments of life's changing circumstance. And with every new circumstance, we have to make this choice again. Am I going to listen to Jesus' voice and trust him? And so as impossible as it was for Jesus to physically touch every person in the book of Mark, we've seen that, it seems just as impossible for us to all have a relationship with Jesus, right? But that's exactly why he came. Jesus' human inability at that time to be in two places at once didn't stop him from helping Jairus. Because if you read, and I want you to go home and read the rest of the story this week, he goes to Jairus' house, he raises that little girl from the dead, and, and man, all glory to God. It's amazing. His power is bigger than your circumstance. His Holy Spirit can minister to you today in the same way. And just like he helped these two daughters, he can help you. Look at what Jesus says in John chapter 16. John 16, 7. He's talking to his disciples and he says, But in fact, it's best for you that I will go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I'll send him to you. And this is just a foreshadowing of Jesus' promise that then when he leaves, he's going to send his Holy Spirit to be with you every single moment of every single day for the rest of your life. Amen? Amen. And so the question for us today is, can God meet me in the chaos? And the first thing we learn is I got to keep my eyes on him. I got to keep the most important things. I need to go to church. I need to be in my Bible every day. I need to be praying on my own, not just wait to pray at church. My vision needs to be right. And number two, right? Number two, in the chaos, Jesus can help me. He's that powerful. He's that good. And, and in the chaos, he doesn't want to just fix my circumstances. He wants to have a relationship with me. And so if you could bow your heads and shut your eyes today, if that's you and you say, I want a relationship with Jesus. I don't have one right now. I know that I've been running from God. I have not yet um, accepted the free gift of salvation that Jesus afforded for me on the cross. And I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus today and start a relationship with him. If that's you, um, I just want you to boldly um, raise your hand today. Just boldly raise your hand. Awesome. Thank you so much. Anybody else? That's, that's great. Amen. Anybody else that says, I want to give my life to Jesus today? Amen. Amen. You can put your hands down. And if you're in the room or you're, here, you're online watching with us today, I just want you to pray a simple prayer. And if you're like, Joe, I've never prayed before. That's okay. Just talk to Jesus like you would talk to your dad or a friend or, or somebody that you're comfortable talking to. 
And I want you to just pray a prayer like this. It says, Jesus, I believe. You died for me on the cross. You rose again on the third day. Here's my life. Here's my heart. Jesus, your word says that if I put my faith and my trust in you, if I confess that I'm a sinner and I need a savior, that you'll cleanse me, that you'll take my sin away, you'll give me a new life. And so I just received that today. Help me, Lord, to follow you the rest of the days of my life. Help me to understand your word. In Jesus' name. If you pray a prayer like that, man, I'm so pumped for you. The Bible says that all of heaven is rejoicing because you made a choice to follow Christ. Amen. And Jesus looks at you today after you put your faith and trust in him and calls you son. He calls you daughter. He brings you into his family. Amen. It's amazing. It's amazing. If you're here today and, and you say, Joe, the chaos has got the best of me and, and my faith has been shaken and it's time for me to get my vision set back right. It's time for me to put my trust in Christ even in the midst of the chaos and know that God can meet me right here in the chaos where I'm at and still wants to have a relationship with me. And as we pray this closing prayer, you wanna commit and say, God, in the middle of the chaos, I'm gonna pursue you more than ever. If that's you today, I'm gonna to pray a closing prayer. Raise your hand. Let's make this commitment together. God, we commit to you that in the midst of our crazy lives and, and kids' schedules and everything that's going on, help us to maintain our vision, just like you did when you were pressed on every side, when the crowds were about to crush you, when you didn't even have time to eat. You kept your mind and thoughts on the things that mattered most. Help us to do that, Jesus, and help us to remember that even in the chaos, you wanna work, even on the soccer field or on the, on the baseball field or the softball field or on the basketball court. God, you wanna use us you want to use us to bring Jesus into that environment. And so help us, Lord. Help us. And help us to always remember that even when we're struggling and even when we need healing and even when we need a touch from you, God, that the most important thing you want to do is have a relationship with us. And so help us to seek that every day and know that you call us son and daughters of the Most High God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. We look forward to having you back next week.